Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard. Talk to me, guy, and Sherry Edwards. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Richard, and good morning to our audience. We're happy to have you with us. You know, Richard and I do this show not because we want to spend our Sunday mornings listening to ourselves talk, but we do it because we think we bring you information to enhance your life, to make your life a little easier, a little better, and our guest today is one of those people who who just lead the way in getting rid of obstacles in your life. She's been with us before, Sharon Weiss. She is a specialist in your name and how your name can choose your destiny or put obstacles in your way. This is going to be an audience participation show. So if you'd like to be on the show, Richard, do they just um, punch one? Is that how it I believe so. I believe so at Blog Talk Radio. When you, uh, either you can call in at Blog Talk Radio at 347-850-1407, and I think it cues you to press 1 to raise your hand, and then I'll see you and bring you in. And or if you're on the Blog Talk Radio platform watching online, you can also participate by hmm, clicking something. <laughs> I can't remember right now. I guess you have to listen, call in. and No, I think you have to call in. I don't think you can do it that way. You can call in by Skype. You can call in by calling the phone number. But you'll raise your hand someplace. You should know that better. Or if they just click on their mic, sometimes that will light it up, I think. Yes. But, yep. Yeah, yep. but hitting one if they're on the telephone will right. we'll do it. We are being sponsored today by the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health. And we stick a microphone in front of your face, and we listen to the sounds of your words. And we're going to ask Sharon if it's the sound or the letters or the placement of the words in your name that make a difference. We are working on several projects, um, one with neuroplasticity and one with bio-diet. So if you want to be part of our bio-diet program, and we already have several volunteers, but we need more, we are going to do vocal uh, evaluations and tell you why you may have a weight issue. And I think this has become such a big problem because everybody's issue is different uh, from biochemistry to structure to genetics to toxins. So we're going to try to to break that, um, I don't know, what is it, secret um, what would you call that, Richard, if we're trying to, to break out what's really hidden from, uh, from their voices, from the doctors, from themselves? I really, think of it as, I really think of it as detective work in a certain way. You know, really you're detecting. It's like watching you do a, tr- a vocal print. When you look at a vocal print, you're like a dog searching for the rabbit. You are going to follow a thread until you get to the place that goes, wow, that's it right there. That's the thing. Let's start there. So I think it was it's, detective. Yeah, and it's all math. So we're going to ask Sharon about that too. I don't have any announcements. I think our world is um, coming apart at the seams, and uh, hopefully they'll put it back together uh, in a coherent way. Things are so screwy and chaotic on many, many levels, from Hollywood to government to our personal selves, 
Now, we can't do anything about those other things, but Sharon can help us put ourselves together and begin to find our destiny. We're making headways with vaccines um, and working with Sherry Tenpenny with that. We are working on a project on aging muscles and people who have diabetes and why their muscles age um, quickly. So if you have any of those issues, please go to our site, soundhealthoptions.com, excuse me, and read some of our new articles that we just put up. I'm working on one now about how time is alive, and that's kind of interesting about frequency and time. And another one about MS. So you can go to the Sound Health Options site and look at all of that good stuff. And we are opening a, a uh, blog and then to Sound Health Portal, like portals into other dimensions, um, and have your own vocal print done right online. We do have two-day and five-day classes coming up. It's going to be on autism, stress, and allergies for any of you who want to take our free two-day class and you get your software um, free also. What we're looking for is people who want to help us break the sound barriers of disease. And we just don't have enough trained people. We don't have enough trainers. Uh, We don't have enough educators. So that's what we're looking for. And because we're so, hmm, the word, we're so intent on taking this to every community, that's why we're offering it for free for the next uh, few months, probably for the rest of the year, but on different topics. So if you are interested in a topic, you do have to pre-register for all of this because we can only take so many people at a time. Get in touch with us through class options. Okay, that's all my junk. Richard, I know you always have announcements. Yeah, I do have something I want to mention. I I don't quite know. I was trying to find something. I've been trying to switch to like, look, they're doing solar power and here's this. But this just loomed out at me so large that I had to mention this. And I'll put this article in the uh, show chat over at Blog Duck Radio. Heard everybody take a deep breath. Um, 93% of bottled water contains microplastics. That's the head of the article. This is research done. Uh, It's actually particulate. It's actual pieces. So it's, uh, you know, uh, one bottle, for example, one bottle showed an excess of 10,000 microplastic particles per liter. Only 17 bottles of the 259 bottles studied had no contamination. For the study, researchers tested 259 individual bottles across 11 brands purchased from 19 locations in nine countries. Using fluorescent tagging with Nile red dye, the scientists found that 93% of the samples had some sort of microplastic contamination, including polypropylene, nylon, and polyethylene terephthalate. The bits range in size from the width of a human hair to red blood cell. What, Jerry? Does this um, come from the bottle, or yes? No, this is coming. Well, we have pollute, we have microparticulates in the ocean. Uh, I don't know that it can seep up through the earth yet. Uh, this is this seems to be actually the source is actually the bottle, the plastic bottle itself. 
And especially by as I as they talk about that, this is one of the things I like about the study is not only 259 different bottles, but 11 brands from 19 locations in nine countries. So it's not There's like probably. in Northern California, it's like it's worldwide plastic bottles are or leaching or releasing pla- microplastic particulates into bottles. I have two questions. And mm-hmm. a comment. Um, the comment, there's probably not anybody listening that hasn't drunk water out of a plastic bottle. Right. And, and oh, geez. And if this is happening with water bottles, is it happening with baby bottles and all the milk? And where does this go? Does it get in our blood? Does it get stuck in some cranny? Does our body dissolve it? How does it hurt us? I I don't know that, but I I think that the body wouldn't know what to do with it because it's not an organic compound. They're typically petroleum-based, and our body doesn't exactly have a, a requirement for petroleum in our diet in any way. Uh, not that we trust the triangle food group, triangle anyway. Uh, however, it's an inorganic substance that we are assimilating. I know that in the oceans, they're seeing uh, high levels of plastics in fish, so that the fish that we're eating out of the oceans, saltwater fish, are having issues with microplastics. And so this is the first major study I've seen where they've looked at bottled water and the and that how many billions of I can't remember how many you know 500 new million plastic bottles a month or something by Nestle. I'm just and making that name up. I'm not sure it's them. One of the people in our audience sent me an article where they're finding GMOs in the water. So even if it's oh, that's a yeah. I was trying not to talk about the GMOs in the organic wine industry or the GMOs. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, some of the studies coming out of California where they're looking at GMO, GMOs and glyphosates appearing in things where it's like, how did that even get there? I mean, it's yeah. If you have friends in the wine company, we have a frequency now that will take bitter out of uh, the cheaper wines, and I'm wondering if we can detox the GMOs from the wine. See if any of your friends out there are willing to help us do a project. That'd be great. Now I'm all excited about that. I'm excited about our (laughs) guests, too. Me, too. Okay. So I'll put this in chat. It's mind-blowing when I discovered this. I couldn't not talk about it because plastic is bad news. You know, there are giant islands of plastic in the ocean, now we find out that we're walking bags of plastic because we've all, as Sherry says, is more than likely nobody listening or nobody in our audience that hasn't had water out of a plastic bottle or if not, as we speak, is looking at the plastic bottle of water on their desk going, ew, do I want to drink that? So there's that. So on that note, I am going to bring our guest in. Uh, I just have to find her the list first. Whoop. Nope, that was the wrong one. Yeah, I get flustered with thinking about water. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created nomology science after 15 years of research, followed by three years of testing her theories in over 70 countries, including Russia, India, and China. She then continued to develop how to interpret names over the next 17 years, which is why nomology science is so accurate today. She wanted to see if her methodology held true in different languages, and indeed it does. Sharon states that the greatest gift that came from developing nomology science was being able to see all people as one. As our basic desires remain the same, 
regardless of where we live or what culture we're experiencing. Today, she assists human resource departments in narrowing down the candidates to be interviewed, lawyers in how to present cases to judges, as well as couples and families on how to better communicate with each other. Sharon joins us to talk to about her best-selling book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Welcome back, Sharon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right. So we'll move along, Plastic. I'm still on fire about that. Um, I have to ask, this, I'm going to back into what I'm going to ask you. But first I have to ask, what is mnemology? What does that what does that stand for? What does that represent? Namology is the study of names, and it's the placement of the letters in the name and what they tell you about someone's personality. And it's just spelled weird because you're not allowed to trademark a common word like name, and so I use the Latin spelling of name, which is N-E-I-M, and then ology means the study of. Okay. And then we'll talk about that a lot, but I have to ask, what was your journey from a high school administrator and teacher to nomology science? I mean, how did you how did you get there? In my seventh year getting ready to teach, you know, you're given the 150 names of the students that you'll be teaching that year, and I started doing the seating charts, and my brain was saying, oh, don't put Joshua next to Julie because together they'll be clowns, but separated they're okay. Stephanie's going to be stubborn, you know, put her in a seat where you don't have to move her very often. You know, Derek's going to need extra help, put him up front. And as I started doing my fourth class, it dawned on me, I don't know these kids yet. This is what I do once I really know them. I put a lot of thought and effort into a seating chart. And so curiosity uh, got the best of me, and I said, okay, I'm going to go back and put down my impression of everybody because all I have to work with is their name and I'm going to put it aside. I want to get to know the kids for who they are. And so when I read that at winter break, I thought this is so accurate. So my brain is thoroughly trained in patterns being a math major in college and having my master's. And so I said, okay, how do I make what my brain has picked up as some kind of pattern is the name? How do I make it conscious? And so that's what took me 15 years, and then I followed it by three years of field studies in 72 countries to make sure it worked regardless of the language, as long as they were using our alphabetic symbols. And that's why, and I talked everywhere because people would hear about me and invite me someplace else. And so that's why it's so accurate, because everybody was giving me feedback. I mean, I literally talked to thousands of people. I, I'm going to jump right into a question from chat because this fits right in, is which name do we use? The birth announcement card that parents give to friends, our government birth certificate, or what, he, what we call ourselves, in other words, Bob instead of Robert, Sue instead of Susan, Bill instead of William? Okay, I love that question. On the birth certificate, whatever name is on the birth certificate, that literally gives you your contract for this lifetime. It says what are your challenges going to be in this lifetime and what are your gifts going to be in this lifetime. And so, um, and that lays out the plan. It even gives us the years of what we're going to be focusing on when and our style of learning, what kind of gifts we like, everything's sitting there in that birth name. Then the name we go by represents how we're going to go about accomplishing what's in our birth name. So 
if we're going by the whole birth name as it is, we're saying we're sticking right to the original plan. If we start using nicknames or we start changing our names, we're simply saying we're going to take a different route to get the same thing accomplished. It's kind of like saying I need to get from L.A. to New York. Am I going to walk? Am I going to take a bus? Am I going to take a train? Am I going to fly? How many legs am I going to have? A direct flight? You know, whatever. It's like the name we're going by tells us how we're going to get our mission accomplished. And from that, I have a personal question, but it fits right into this. When I was very young, when I first started going to school, uh, my name was Richard in my mind. And when in school back in those days, I think it still happens now, people would somehow transform Richard into Dick, which I've never understood how that had happened, but that's a separate thing. And as a kid, I was very clear when teachers would back in the days when they would read all your names and, you know, go down the list and check you off, they would call me Dick. And I would stop them. And I was young, and I'm, in spite of how I am on microphone, I'm quite shy in person. And I would stop and say, no, it's Richard. Why? Why? (laughs) Is there a why there? I don't know if this is a psychological (laughs) question or a, like, what's my deal? I mean, I was very, I just remember being very adamant that my name was Richard. Well, you wanted to be known for who you were and not for what somebody else was imposing upon you. When somebody calls us a nickname and they've created the nickname, they're literally saying, these are the aspects of who you are that I want to see and don't show me the rest. And when you insist on being called by your full name, you're saying, I want you to see me clearly, all of me, and be comfortable with all of who I am and not just accept part of me. And so that's what we do when we insist on being called by the birth name. Mm. Sharon, you've done a reading for me, and there's something that I left out that this just brings up. My mother's intention was to name me Sherry Delight. But I was born at home, and the neighbor lady delivered me, and she went and registered my name as Sharon K. And I have never been comfortable with Sharon. But some of the things you said in the reading for me, the middle name Delight, although very esoteric and probably not acceptable by the neighbors, really makes sense. Can you talk about those differences? Sure. Had you been named what your mom originally planned for you, um, you would have found it very difficult to fit in or be accepted for who you are. You would have found a lot more mountains instead of mohills when you were going through your life, and you would have been driven by needing to prove that you were the best instead of because of competition, instead of just I have a gift to offer and I want to pursue this because this is valuable for others. In other words, it would have put you into ego a lot more. And in your current name, there is no ego and there is the ability to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish because you have in your birth name the strongest combination that exists that I have been able to find that says I can do anything I put my mind to. Whereas if you had gone with your mom's name, you wouldn't have had that combination, and instead you would have had the combination that says I'm driven by ego and I'm a taker, not a giver. Wow. I certainly have a lot of takers in my life. Here's a backwards question to that. 
before my children were born, I had their names all picked out. And my first daughter, I wanted to name her Shada Lee. And when she came out, I first looked in her face. She screwed up her face and said to me mentally, my name's Ricky. And I had never even thought of calling her Ricky. And I spelled it R-I-C-K-I-I. And she is exactly that rambunctious, I'll do it my way kind of child. Does that fit her name? And could I have really screwed her up by calling her Shada? If you had called her Shada, she would have been going the entire her entire life saying, how come I don't feel like my name fits? You know, <laughs> how come I feel like somebody different? You know, how come I feel like two people? I feel like this person that's getting reinforced with the Shada name, but at the same time, I feel like I'm somebody different inside. You know, um, I would think that it would almost be a similar, I could be wrong on this, but it would be a similar feeling to uh, what we have as transvestites, where they feel like they're one body type, but they feel like they're a different body type inside. And I think she would have been going through that same thing. Um, According to all of the, the seven religions, when there were only seven on the planet, um, all of them agreed that the incoming soul impresses upon the mother or the one that was going to be naming them, because in different cultures it's different, um, what they want to be called. So some way or another, they get that name across. And then what I always say is, once you get the name, call me and I'll help you with the spelling. Because if it's spelled where it's a difficult lesson, let's make it a little bit easier. You know, we can help. <laughs> You know, but that way they still get the same lessons so that they're still learning what they've come to learn. In the name Ricky, she has a very quick mind. She's really after truth, has a nice rebellious spirit, wants to be in charge of her. But when she leads, everybody benefits. But she really came to do something that's going to have the world looking at her. Wow. Is it it the... Sound of the letters or the placement of the letters, the alignment, so to speak, of the letters? The placement of the letters, where they sit, whether they're the first vowel, first letter, last letter, or a middle letter, matters. And then you take the first name, which is the essence of who you are. The middle name, if you have one, is how you morph or change under stress. And your last name represents your environmental influence. So I call it dropping the first name into the last name, and it's all placement. However, Sometimes the letter is sounds differently than what it's written. Like Zena is a name that's X-E-N-A, but it sounds like the letter Z. So therefore, you've got to use both the sound and the letter when you're interpreting the name. Because if I'm hearing a Z all the time, even though it's spelt like an X, then I have to interpret what the Z stands for and the X stands for in that same position. And can we... Well, actually, I have a question. This is somebody from chat is talking about this, about Sherry. Can the can name change create, or can the name create lessons you need? Um, all the lessons that are needed or required for this particular lifetime are, sit there in the birth name. And then whatever name you're going by is saying how you're going to go about learning those lessons. But they're all sitting right there in the birth name. Your whole purpose, what you're here to share and what you're here to learn, all sits in whatever was on that birth certificate. And then your methodology sits in whatever name you're currently going by. 
and you see people's name changes sometimes. Like when a woman gets married, she changes her last name. Well, the last name changes, it means her environment has changed. So now she's learning or being influenced by something different than what she was influenced by before. And if you're going by a nickname or you've shortened your name or you've changed your name, all you're saying is the lessons remain the same because that's what was on the birth certificate, but now I'm going to go about those lessons differently. Mm, here's an interesting chat question. Wow. Uh, can we create a child's personality by naming them what we want them to be? The answer is yes in a way because every name, though, has positive attributes and they have challenges to learn. There is no name that I've ever seen out of the thousands of names I've looked at that it's all good and it's wonderful and somebody doesn't have challenges. And I would ask a question anyway. If a person doesn't have challenges and something to learn, is that not a wasted lifetime? Didn't we come here to grow? Didn't we come here to expand? Didn't we come here to become more wise? You know, the soul is wanting something, and so that's represented within the name. You can help to create if you're not going to listen to the input or the impression on what this child wants to be called. You can come up with a name, but again, that's going to cause internal conflict because that person's going to feel like something's off, something's whatever. And what I have found from people that call and say, I don't like my name, you know, I want to change it. And then I help people to what do you want it to say, you know, and then here's the challenges that are going to be in there. But we always look at the birth name first and say, the challenges that are in the birth name need to remain in the new name. You can go about them differently because you don't want to waste a lifetime. And my personal belief is that there are no mistakes, that somehow in the design of this world, that part was right even if it feels wrong so that we're learning from that birth name even if we want to be called something totally different. Hmm. And somebody's asking, other than spelling problems or issues, does an unusual name harm or benefit? Uh, Research has shown that if the very different name that is spelt very differently and uniquely is easy to pronounce that not much harm is done like think of sigourney weaver or canoe reeves if it's easy to pronounce the person's okay they're making that name whatever they want it to be however if the spelling is so complicated that you look at it and you go have no clue how to say this name and this name is just really really you know off the charts they've done studies where they've given people papers to grade and identical papers to the same teacher at different times, and the name makes a difference in how the paper's graded. So I want to say from research, it's very important what kind of a name you have. And it seems to come down to, can you look at the name and have an idea how it's pronounced, or at least hear it once and go, okay, I got it, and then be able to say it. And somebody from chat is asking, uh, what about different languages that have accents on letters? And they're saying, for example, Polish has O, or it has O with a round dot on top and O with a strike over the top. And then there are other languages like Spanish that use the tilde over the N. Or how does that, does that affect how the name works? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, just like in my name, I have an accent on the O. 
okay, and the answer is yes, that that symbol also has its own interpretation. So, for an example, when the accent comes over a vowel, because accents are usually on vowels, when that happens, it says, count this vowel like it's a first vowel in a name instead of a middle vowel, um, so that you would have, like, two first vowels. And so all of those symbols, all of those marks, all have their own interpretation also. There's a chapter in my book that's literally called the What If Chapter. And it's when I was touring around for the three years that I spent going to the 72 different countries and talking, people would ask me questions. And if it was a similar question that I usually got, I thought, okay, it's covered. But if somebody would ask me a brand new question, I would literally pause and say, wait a second, I want to write that question down. And so all the questions that didn't naturally fit into, like, the placement and the, and the first, you know, the first position or the middle letter or whatever, um, I literally put, like, all those symbols and marks into my what-if chapter. And for an example, there was a question when I was in Germany of an older man said, I have numbers on my arm, and for years I was called by this number and not my name. How do you interpret that? You know, and so all of those what-if questions literally went into a what-if chapter. And so I go through the different symbols and what they mean on the personality, just like would treat it just like another letter. And, yes, they make a difference. And I had a separate question, but this one is so good to hear, I have to ask now from chat. Are there good names and bad names? You know, I get that question a lot, and the answer is, the majority of names are evenly balanced, okay? So that what to me is a good name is one where the gifts in the name allow you to easily solve the challenges in the name because the answers are in the name just like the, you know, the challenges are. Now, occasionally, and it's been very rare, I will see a name that has so many more challenges than the gifts that are there to handle the challenges. And I think, okay, that's going to be a more difficult life. And the few names that I've seen are like that. Those people have ended up in jail for long times, like almost a life mm-hmm. sentence in a jail, um, because it's very difficult to handle. Occasionally, I have seen a name where there's so many gifts and so few challenges. And I look at that and I think, if you don't take all those gifts and turn them around and help society somehow, it's almost like it's a waste because everything comes too easily. So where's the growing? Where's the learning? You know, are you really benefiting as a person when there's just way so many gifts unless you can use those gifts to turn around and help a lot of other people? But both extremes have been rare in the thousands of names I've looked at. Mm-hmm. And is there such a thing as a success name? And I at an end, I'll toss out, now, like, what's up with Bill Gates? I mean, in the, in the sense of, is that a success name? I mean, is, did he become his name? I think we all become our names because that name has a sound vibration and it's constantly reinforced to us. And so because of somatics, it really says that our cells are conforming to the sounds or the waves, the vibrations. And what do we identify ourselves with but our names? Because when somebody says, who are you? or they want you to introduce yourself, you do it with your name as if that says it all. And indeed it does once you know nameology science. And so a name can, can let us know like what direction we're going to, what fields are good for us. 
I think every single person has somewhere in their name a successful route or a money route, all right? Um, Some people have come really to be like about 2% of the names I've looked at. I want to say those people are on mission. They're not here necessarily for self, even though the self grows. They're really here to help everybody else. But from the names I've done, that's only about 2%. And other than that, if people will use and go and go into where they feel like they ought to be going, a lot of times our dreams are spurred because other people say, no, you ought to be doing this or you should be doing that. But if you go where your heart leads you, I think everyone can have the kind of success that Bill Gates has. You know, it's just are you following your dream and willing to do the work and the effort and what it takes to get there and not give up? And, but I think a lot of people from um, get distracted. And I don't think everybody's made or came with the idea of, oh, I need to make a lot of money. I don't think that's people's focus. Because when I look at a name, we get all of our lessons in three ways. We either get them through relationships or we get them through finances or we get them through health. And so... When I look at people whose names have, you're getting your lessons through finances, that means you either have to have a lot or or be, you know, always struggling for it because that's how your lessons are coming. You know, how are you using your resources? But for the people that came to get their lessons through health or their lessons through relationship, the focus isn't on money. And if you don't focus on resources, then you don't create as much. You create what you need, but you don't need that abundance but it sits there in the first vowel of the first name, and sometimes it's influenced by other letters, how you came to learn, you know, whether it was through relationships, which is both, Richard, both you and Sherry have come to learn through relationships. And so your lessons come through other people, and how do we get along with them, or how do they push us, or how do they push our buttons, or how do we try to, you know, maneuver through on our relationships to make them good and valuable. And so the good news is is that when you came to learn through relationships, then money, if it becomes a problem, it's a short-term problem. If health, if you get sick, it's an inconvenience, you're going to get well again. You know, you have that capability because those aren't your focus. But people like Bill Gates, you can look at their name and say, oh, their focus was finances, and so they came to learn through resources. I have two questions, and the the questions are flying into my email. Um, one is probably a quick yes or no. Does this work with animals? The answer is absolutely yes, and it works wow. with products also. Do you have a list in your book of name my dog this? No. Instead, I teach you the entire system in my book so you know what letter means what and what position so you can create your own names without me having to tell you this is a good one and this is a not a good one, and without you knowing why. So instead, it literally teaches you the system so you can interpret any name regardless of how it's spelled or create any name. Because like I help a lot of people create their business names. And so you can do the same thing for a pet. Through the years of Richard and I doing these shows, and we've done like near 600 or so, I've learned that Richard is fiercely independent, He doesn't like to be told anything. He likes to dabble in many, many different things at once. How is that shown in his name? Well, the independence is always in the eye. 
Okay, people that have eyes in their name always want independence. But there's always two or three different ways that the same quality can show up in a name, so not everybody who wants to be independent needs to have an eye. Okay? And um, the rest of it is literally all there in the name. People who have um, a C in their name, for example, I have a mnemonic device so I can help remember all of this because I'm not a person that liked memorization. I think that's why I went into math because you don't have to memorize in math. You can reconfigure a formula if you forget because logically it makes sense. So I have these mnemonic devices that are also in the book. And the one for C is they are charming and charismatic to cover their need to be in charge and in control. So if the C is in the first letter position, they want to be in charge of them and everybody else. But Richard C. is in the middle letter position, and that means I only want to be in charge of me. I don't need to be in charge of anybody else. However, I don't want to have anybody else in charge of me. So that's that also independence and I need to be in charge of me. So as you're looking at the name, his name also says he has a tendency to do some things the hard way. He has fairness issues. He can stand up for others, but he finds it harder to stand up for himself, that he can get frustrated or uh, become angry when things aren't going as and people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing you know so that things aren't flowing he absolutely has no tolerance for dishonest people and he's a rebellious streak doesn't want to be told what to do you know and so there's just a lot and the other thing that the part of Richard's name that I just absolutely love is the fact that from a childhood, he realized he needed to leave home to really develop who he was, and then he could come back and he could be the prodigal son. And that he, as he gets older and as his life progresses, that he will get more and, and closer and and more knowledge about the divine and his understanding of our relationship with that which is unseen. Are there health challenges in his name? Everyone are- has has some um challenges the challenges in his name from what i've discovered so far with health is are very small like one of the things he'd have in his name is some throat issues so he could have strep throat or he could have a real problem it could go any extreme it doesn't tell me you know how often something would be there but it just says sometime in his life he's going to have a challenge in the throat um sometime in his life um he could have a challenge with leaky gut according to his name. Um, There's some other challenges, but none of them are so drastic because he didn't come to learn through health. None of them are so drastic that he can't heal them. You are right on the button there. Richard, can I talk about that a minute? Yes, please. Feel free. He had a year in the hospital that dealt with his gut and leaky and things not being right. So right on, Sharon. Yeah, so my my goal is, my research is coming to a completion. I always say, well, it's complete, but it, it never really gets complete. But I'm now starting to write the book that will eventually be Know the Name, Know the Health with the, the hope that if you can see what letters are placed where in your name and you can identify them with what issues will come sometime throughout the life or you have a predisposition to those issues, you can take care of modifying behaviors now to avoid that. So, like, if you knew ahead of time that you were going to get leaky gut and, let's say, uh, GMOs 
cause leaky gut, then you would be watching all the labels from the time that you were very young and saying, I'm not choosing to eat anything with a GMO in it because I don't want to get the leaky gut because I've already got a predisposition there. You know, it, it's a way of putting the power back in your own hands for your own health, just like what you're doing with your wonderful work, you know, with the vibration. It's putting the power back in somebody's hands so they can be in charge of their own health. And now I want to I want to turn it slightly, and because I've heard you talk about this, and I read it in the first chapter, talk about the placement of the vowels, because vowels are, I mean, the A E I O U Y are pretty understandable in the sense that we know what a vowel is, so that's a, that's an approachable thing. And you really talk about how the placement of the vowel in the first name is like a thing, really a, a great guideline for us in terms of, because that's one of the things I really like about this work, is that it gives us information so that when we're talking to people, we can engage them in a conversation or something them in a positive way by knowing that information about them. So talk about the vowels and their placement, please. Well, first of all, we want to know that vowels are, are represent our emotions and how we emotionally connect with another person, and consonants represent our attitudes, okay? So a vowel can be a first letter, a first vowel can also be a first letter, but it can be somewhere else in the name. Like, let's take the, the vowel A, all right, so A in Alicia is the first letter, but A in Sally is the second letter, but A in Sherry is the third letter. It doesn't matter um, where it is as long as it's considered the first vowel. It's the first vowel you see when you're reading from left to right. And that vowel position gives us our communication style with others because we have six different styles, just like Myers-Briggs has different categories that they put you in. And in my system, it's according to what vowel, you know, you have in that first vowel position is what communication style you have. It tells you what kind of gifts you like, you know, what makes you happy. It tells you your learning style. There's so much that's placed just in that first vowel. And then as the vowel comes into the middle letter positions, that says a subtle quality that as you get to know somebody, you're going to realize those are the submerged emotions or the the ones that are harder to find in somebody. You really have to get to know them. And then if the vowel is in the last letter position, it can mean something totally different. Okay, so let me give you an example, and I'll just pick Sherry's name with that first vowel of an A. One of the qualities in the first vowel of an A is that they have a tendency to be a workaholic, or they can be an absolute lazy couch potato. It's like you work and work and work and work and work, and when you're finally done, then, okay, you're done, and you don't want to have to get up again during the day and work. Okay, so once you're down, you're down. Okay, however, when the A moves throughout the name and it's in a middle letter position, it means I can get the work done, but I'm not going to do any more work than I have to. I'm not going to do anything extra. I'm just going to do what's needed, and then I'm done. But if the A is in the last letter position, it means that, that you decide it was important to be liked, so you made yourself likable, but you're not going to change who you are and able to get liked. So the letter placement and where it is is really important. Um, another example, because it's just the opposite, A's and E's are so opposite, the E is what I call the emotional letter. It's the people that come from the heart where the A's come from the brain first. It's not that they don't have heart. It's just that they're very mental. They, they're they thinkers. And the E's come from the heart first, 
and that's in the fir- the first letter position. But if it's a middle letter position, it means I can see things from other people's points of view, even when I disagree with them, and I can have empathy for others. And then if it's in the last letter position, it says I have time issues. That's a challenge because I'm so generous of heart. I give away my time, and then at the end of the day, I'm not done with my own stuff because I've been so generous with everybody else. So, and and that's really a, a short conceptual thing because it's there's a lot of qualities that go with every letter and every position but those are some of the main ones but it gives you an idea that as it's the letter sits in a different position it absolutely means something different i have a question from chad about (laughs) this is great the children's names this is in a family say whether they're going to fight or get along can we do that yes you can Yes, oh, so much so. You can compare two names and you can see all the issues. So HR departments call me a lot and say, I need to get this idea across to this person because they're not doing this job well or that job well, you know, whatever, and how should I word it so they can hear me and not feel insulted. Um, You can see, like, if two people, like, like the first HR company I started working with, I asked them if I could use them as an example, and it was like 15 years ago, and if I could test them you know, and do some testing. And and after we got through with that period, they just kept me hired on. And about five years ago, they called me. It was the first time I had that kind of a call that said, these two employees aren't getting along. We want to keep both of them, but both are threatening to quit if the other one doesn't leave. You know, what do we do? And so I looked at the two names, and I said, if this one would just adjust this way and that one would just adjust that way, then they would be meeting each other's needs and they wouldn't have conflict. And that's five years later and they're both still working for the same company. And so you can. You can look at two names and compare and see where the problems are or where the challenges are going to be. And the small, it's small, changes that need to occur. And it's not changing who you are. It's just changing what words or vocabulary or whatever you're doing so that you're not pushing the other one's buttons. And the answer is yes, you can definitely see where the issues are going to be and if they're going to get along or not. And I have a question from chat. This is out of nowhere, but this is a great question. From This is sort of referring from the Bill Gates question. What can we know about Stephen Hawkins? I mean, what was his journey? Because it was such an extraordinary journey. What do we know from his name? What can you tell us? Yes, um, we can look at his name and say he had his own type of charismatic appeal, that he was very stubborn, he was very persistent, he had this incredible memory, um, that his upbringing encouraged this memory, and then, of course, he just glommed onto it, that he had his own organizational style that literally anybody could learn and follow, that he was highly he was taught to be independent by his family, that he had a lot of feelings and compassion for other people. Um, We can tell that he was driven to be at the top of his game by his name, that he could learn anything as long as somebody showed him the foundation. But once he knew the foundation, then he wanted to build the rest of the building by himself. You know, he wanted to build on those facts himself, that he couldn't stand to be micromanaged, and that his purpose in coming down here um, was one, uh, he had two main purposes, a personal one and then a, a a large one at stake for the world. And the personal one was 
not to go into having disdain for people that weren't very bright because he would naturally have disdain for people that that didn't use their intelligence. And so he had to learn how to not have that disdain for others that weren't as bright and catch on as fast as he did. And the global thing in his name literally says he was here to help explain the universe in such a way that it would bring people closer to the divine with divine understanding. Hmm. Yeah. That all that so fits him. So what a fascinating person. I have a question again from chat about and I know from backstage conversation that you and I had um uh, just setting up the show that certain names have characteristics like, you know, there's a sort of a thing like tech people have a certain thing. And I'm wondering they're they're wondering if there's a commonality in Julian Assange, although I kind of put him in a separate category. Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, and Bradley Manning. Is there a thing there? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Julian's brilliant, and he's, you know what, he just, he he loves to make other people look like they're jerks. You know, that's his thing. <laughs> so his whole... His whole environmental influence when he was growing up was, how do you make the world a better place by pointing out who the jerks are? I mean, that's what he was taught from his parents, according to his last name. How do you change the world to make it better um, by showing who out there are being inappropriate and just jerks and not doing what they're supposed to be doing? So, And then he was given brilliance and a sense of humor and a strong desire to make the world a better place and a ton of self-confidence. I mean, this man has a ton of ego that has to keep him going. He needs it. And that self-confidence to say, yes, I can do this, but this is my purpose. And Edward Snowden's name, he started doing what he did because he has anger and disappointment all the way through his name. And at the same time, he was to learn to be wise. So it's how do you show people what's wrong that makes him so mad because he has very high ethics in his name. And same with Julian, he has very high ethics in his name. And when you're talking about all these names, literally they all have incredibly high ethics in their names. So then they're pushed like over the hill a little bit to really come out and do what they think is right because of the high ethics and then because something else will tweak them. So like in Edward's name, he had such anger that that people couldn't, uh, do what they wanted to do or or they have the freedom that they're supposed to have to become wise because his whole thing and his name says we're here to learn from our experiences and become wiser and not make the same mistakes twice. And then he got mad at the system. And he has two different combinations in his name that say we're mad when people don't do what they're supposed to do and we're mad at the system when the system doesn't work. And so you take those along with that high ethics and that pushed him to do what he did. So, yes, you can see it in the name, but the first thing in a name is high ethics that makes most of the whistleblowers a whistleblower. So that would probably be true of John Kariaku, who's somebody we've interviewed who's also in that. He's a different kind of whistleblower, but he's a whistleblower. So is that the, does he have similar characteristics? Um, yes, very high ethics. He can't stand any kind of dishonesty in his name. 
any kind at all. You know, it just bothers him no end, and you have any level of dishonesty, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. (laughs) He took on the CIA. He's gnarly. Um, (laughs) And then I know know we don't have enough time because we're rounding the band, which is surprising. Um, talk about the communication styles. I know we, I, you, in your book you talk about the six communication styles, and I know we don't have enough time, but can you give us an idea of communication styles? Okay, so like if your first vowel is an A, I always start with A because it's the beginning of the alphabet, but if your first vowel is an A, you don't like your time wasted. So like it, let's say I'm a telemarketer and I'm calling, and if I've got somebody that I'm calling whose first vowel is an A, the first thing out of my mouth is not going to be, how are you? Because the minute I say, how are you, the A person is saying, okay, you've already wasted my time. Get to the point. Okay? <laughs> so the A's want to do the work first, and then they'll go play. But it's like, don't waste my time. Let's get this work done, and then we'll have time to do whatever. The E's are just the opposite. The E's you have to start with, how are you? How are you doing? Because if you don't, they say, well, that person doesn't even care about me, didn't even ask how I was doing today. And then they don't get their best work done during the day because all day long they're saying, how come that person doesn't care? Boy, were they rude. What you know? And that's bothering them all day long because they're coming from let's socialize first and make sure everybody's okay, and then we'll all get to work. Okay, so they're just exact opposites. The O person loves to be the boss and tell other people what to do. And so that O person, if you're addressing them, uh, first of all, they have a lot of love and a lot of nurturing. So if I'm going up to an O person, I always ask if they have pets because often they do because that extra love has to go somewhere. But they're the boss. And so if you start talking to them with what do you want done, is there a specific way you want it done or you just want me to get it done, you know, they love to give directions. They love to give the advice. If you're starting with an I person, the I, the first vowel of an I, they're the natural leaders. So if the boss says do X, Y, Z, and somebody didn't quite understand it, they don't go back to the O person and ask the questions, what did you mean? They go to the I person. You know, when we were told this, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Because they're comfortable with the I person, and the I person is the natural leader. And often the I person needs to work for themselves because they have their own style of getting things done, and they don't always take direction well from an O because they find the O is too bossy. Okay. The you person has a very short attention span because their boredom level gets very high. They're catching on and they're saying, okay, got it, move forward. You know, But they love to be entertained and they love unique experiences. So those are the ones you tell jokes with. Those are the ones you laugh with. Those are the ones you go and play with and have fun with. But if you're having a committee that needs to get a lot of things done, don't put too many you people there because they'll have a good time, but they won't get this stuff accomplished. Okay? Because <laughs> you can only have so many people that are willing to play because um, you got to stay on on task. Then the why people are the gracious hosts. They can become the boss's boss. It's the only ones that the O's will give authority to if they so choose, because a lot of Y's don't choose to, but they're capable of it. But they're always very gracious, and they're always, uh, we want to say, easy to get along. They notice everybody and what they're doing, and if they're happy, if they're included, if they're, you know, whatever's going on. However, the whys are the ones that get revenge. So you really want to be careful around a why person that you don't accidentally uh, do something that would cross the line with them because it doesn't matter how long it takes, they will somehow unexpectedly get even with you if they have ever felt slighted. 
So that's a really quick summary. Ooh, that was a great summary. <laughs> I'm I'm bookmarking those why people. I know a few of those. And um, I want to step sideways slightly and talk for a moment. And then I'm I'm sorry to say we're going to be moving toward a close in three minutes. Is you're working with human resource departments. I mean, you're actually going into the boardroom and saying, look, you guys can all get along and here's how, or how does that work? I mean, how did that, um, how does some that companies happen? hire me to come in and, um, like the last one hired me to come in, they hired me for a week and I came in and gave the keynote address to, they had this huge meeting with everybody and I gave the keynote address and literally, they're, they're a company that sells. They have five different sub-companies, but they basically all have in common. They're selling something. And so the keynote address was, how do you sell according to the first vowel and the first name? Because that's what determines how we buy, what pushes our buttons to make us want to spend money. Okay? So I went over that. And then they had me go with different managers, with different groups of the leaders of, of all the different divisions, <clears throat> excuse me, and subdivisions. And as I went to each group the person that was taking me around says, you have one hour with this group or you have half an hour with this group or whatever. They kept me right on time schedule. And the head person would say, um, let us all introduce ourselves. I would say something about each person so they knew that I saw them clearly. And then they would present me with a problem and say, like one of the problems was there were six people and everybody had leadership in their name. But the head guy that was the boss said, look, everybody's a leader. They all want to do their own thing. How do I get us all working together? And so I look at the names really quickly and say, okay, here's the plan. And by the time I would leave, everybody would say, yes, we can do that. Or one time uh, they moved me into a room with two people, and they said, these two used to get along and work well together, and now they can't stand each other. And we have a real problem because they have to work well together. How do we get them back on track? And both people were very honest, and I said, you know, that they just don't get along anymore. And I don't need all the details. I just look at the names, and I go, ah. Here's what must have happened that put you guys on each other's side. If you would do this and if you would do that, you guys would rebuild the trust again because that's what you each need from the other one. And at the end of that 45 minutes, they were both going, okay, we can actually do that, you know, and they felt better about it. So they can use me that way. Other HR departments will send me an email and say, we're fixing to hire. Here's the job description. Here's the names. Who do we want to hire? What questions do we want to ask? Um, Other ones will send me an email and say, we need to have this difficult conversation with this person because they're not doing X, Y, Z. How do we tell them in a way that they still want to work for us while we're taking away some of their responsibilities or demoting them and giving it to somebody else? You know, what's our languaging? How do we want to do this? So it's just different depending on what the HR needs are. (laughs) Here's a question from from Chad. Go ahead, Sherry. We just we have questions pouring in, and I know we don't have time for this one, but boy, do we ever need it. Can you tell if someone is a narcissist by their name? The answer is yes. Okay? Tell you can how. tell somebody's a narcissist by their name. You can tell somebody if, a, if they're a rapist, if they're sexually oriented and they don't care about somebody else's feelings by their name. You can tell if they're a liar, if they're a thief. Uh, you can tell if they're going to take advantage of you. The the only one I haven't been able to figure out yet is if they're going to be a psychopath. Is all this in your book, and where can they get it, and can they write it, to you? And the answer is yes, everything's in the book, because I wanted to make sure everybody had the complete system. And 
It's called Know the Name, Know the Person. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my website, which is the first half of the book title, knowthename.com. That's where you can get it for the least uh, expenditure of money. Um, But you can get it at a lot of bookstores, and if not, you can order it from a bookstore. But Amazon carries it, and my website carries it. The person who wrote about the narcissist wrote a big, long thing about the people she wants to avoid and the characteristics and what can you say about it? Well, go buy your book. (laughs) (laughs) It's in there. It's definitely in there, and it's easy combinations that you're looking for. And would you suggest? Certainly have you back. I would love that. What were you going to say real fast, Richard? I was just going to say, would you suggest that we start out by learning the vowels? Because that seems quite powerful, just because that seems manageable, because that's a small quantity of information. I'm not mathematic by nature, but I see patterns. Um, So for me, it's going to be more memorization. Yeah, there's no math involved. You know, you may be thinking about numerology, but this is the study of the placement of the letters. And so in namology, and so there's literally no math involved with the one exception of if you want to know what year you're focused on what activity, then you have to know how to add. But other than that, there's no math involved. And the book goes through and it says the most important position is the first vowel and the first name because so much stuff is loaded in it, and that's chapter two. And then chapter three is the first letter of the first name. And if you just go through chapter by chapter, uh, you get a nice building and then practice that and think about people you know with that to lodge it into the head before you go to the next chapter. And it goes in order of the importance of the letters and their placement. And then I always recommend that you skip those middle years. They were always difficult for students, uh, the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. You skip chapters six, seven, and eight. Use them as resource, but otherwise you'll get bogged down with all the details. Um, because I can give you too much minutia, and then go straight from Chapter 5 and jump over to Chapter 9. And then just use those middle three as as resource when you're really digging into a name. Wow, that's great. I love cheating right out of the gate. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's just my kind of learning. I can do that. Um, How do people work with you? Do you work with people one-on-one still? Oh, I love that. Yes, I do. And through the website, you can just go to the contact button and contact me that way. Or the name of the science is Namology Science, and my email is namology at gmail.com. Okay, Richard, we'll definitely you, have to have you back. Go ahead, Sherry. Can you tell people, uh, many people are going to want to listen to this again. Can you let them know exactly how to uh, drop into the recording of this? This is so yes. fascinating. This is great. Um, I have to go back and lay down with a beverage and listen to me again. Um, you can go to about five, uh, 10 to 15 minutes after we end the show. You'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on, the, click on the radio tab, and then click on the blog talk archive player. And the last five shows we've done will be there on the player. If you have iTunes or Pocket Casts or Dog Catcher or Pocket Catcher or you name it, any of the you know, podcast aggregators, which is just really fancy talk for a player that you can follow shows on, you'll be able to search for Sherry Edwards and find the now close to 600 hours of shows we've done. And this show will be at the top of that list. And the aggregators tend to take a little longer. They take maybe an hour or two sometimes to get the show up. The fastest place will be able to find it at the 
soundhealthoptions.com, radio, and then blog talk archive player. And or you could also, if you're online listening to the show, uh, with us at Blog Talk Radio online, not on the phone, but actually on the website, talking and throwing the chalkboard and you know erasers in the back classroom, <laughs> like most back classrooms, at the chat, you can go right there in about 10 to 15 minutes. The show will show up there as a replay at blogtalkradio.com and search for Sherry Edwards and the show will be there. That was great. That was slightly breathtaking, but thank you. Uh, My pleasure. Anytime. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sharon. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks again. Yeah, um, I was interviewed on the Power Hour um, Friday, Sherry, and... Um, I mentioned you also to try to give you another boost. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) 